tonight on Unsolved Mysteries. Dreams come true, New Orleans killer, comic relief, and JD Method. I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an unsolved... Not not an unsolved mystery, an unsolved mysteries podcast. Wow, I yeah, really, multiple mysteries. Yes, I really. Yeah, I almost got Carl. us off to a really great start there. Um, you almost did. Yeah, uh, Christo. Um, yeah. Even though by the time this episode airs, Orthodox mm-hmm. Great Lent will probably be over, but at the time of recording, it is still going on. In the usual, in in the usual uh, Gregorian calendar, Easter was this last Sunday. Yes, a couple days ago. Is that also how it works in Great Lent? Was Easter also this last Sunday? Actually, on the Orthodox calendar, uh, Easter is going to be on May second. Okay, so that's why we're still in Great Lent and not Lesser Lent, like whatever Catholics are doing. And the rest of everybody else. <laughs> I honestly, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the Catholics are doing. Are they? Are they? Are I don't they... know either. I'm not Catholic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, so uh, if you're a Catholic listener, uh, write in and let us know when Lent ended for you, or just how your <laughs> Easter was. That's fine. Or, or just give us know. five stars on iTunes, whichever you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, so great lent is going on and the last couple of times we've recorded so let me review what the rules the dietary rules for great lent are if yes. i remember correctly it is no meat no right? meat yeah no dairy no dairy no meat includes like everything except shrimp i guess yeah like there's there's no seafood except for mm-hmm. I, I guess shelled uh, uh, seafood, yes, but mm-hmm. fish. So, so you could can't. eat like mussels and clams and shrimp, but no fish. I uh, I gather that must be the case. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I guess and I guess they they designed mm-hmm. the rules anticipating that like those would be the things from the ocean I'd be least interested in eating. So. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um and then nothing no olive oil. So nothing can be cooked in olive oil, no olive oil, right? No, yeah. Uh, I I was I did f- when I was preparing for for Great Lent, I did discover that mm-hmm. I had a small thing of vegetable oil in my in the cupboard uh, where I'm living that I mm-hmm. had had bought at some point. I was like, "Oh, this is convenient and it's just about the right size that for the cooking purposes I need for a month." And so mm-hmm. I, I can just use that so, up and then resume to olive oil once uh, once it's all over. Last time we talked, you'd gone to a movie and you had selected some snacks that would fit. It wouldn't violate the Great Lent dietary restrictions. So have you had any workarounds since we recorded last? Any like revelations? How are you feeling? Um... You know, I feel okay. Uh, I'm pro- I'm probably eating relatively healthy because I'm not like 
eating a pizza every every week like I used to. Mm-hmm. Um uh yeah, no, I I don't know, I don't recall if I mentioned this previously, but it, it, it is kind of this I have had this sort of strange feeling where like I'm not really particularly hungry at any point. Uh mm-hmm. I'm not like starving or anything. But uh, every now and then, when I when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, you know, there's just this sort of like, I don't know how to describe it. There's like an un unsatisfied feeling in my stomach, like like mm-hmm. something's wanting. Uh, so mm, I guess would that's... you say it? It feels like you're ravenous. <laughs> yeah, you know, like nothing nothing satisfies me. There's there's this hunger, and I don't. Uh, like whatever I eat, it's not, it's not a, uh, it's not quite hitting it. I I I don't know yeah. what it is. It's like there's there's like some type of food that I need to eat, and that's the only thing that that will that will that will satiate this ravenous hunger inside me. <laughs> um, I like I like how we we worked in that worked that in that. Thank you, Crystal. I I you're you're welcome. <laughs> I, I tee it up, you knock it out. That's how it goes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you're just slightly unsatisfied all the time, it sounds like. <laughs> right, right, yeah. That's. Um, is that not the, the one of the spiritual points of doing this, though? Is to yeah, just yeah. stay I, I vigilant? Think, I think that's, that's yeah, I, I think that's pretty... That I mean, it, feel, it kind of feels like that. that's the whole point. Every time I think about that, like when I when I ref- when I feel like oh man I don't really feel uh, sated or, or satisfied uh, with uh, with what I just ate, that then you know automatically kicks me to thinking like well that's the point of this whole adventure, and mm-hmm. from there I often I think about my uh, some of my um, my my close friend who is currently dealing with uh cancer and uh and that's kind of like that was kind of the main driving motivation for me taking this up so Mm -hmm. you know so like at least at least once a day i'm not just going to like i'm not just going to breeze through my whole life every day like you know, only being reminded of, of what my friend's going through when something actively reminds me. Instead, I, I, every day I, I do actively think about it. And, uh, I try to, when I do, I, the next thing I do is I, I go to my uh, bedroom and Mm -hmm. I've been lighting a candle for her. Uh, Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So, so like, it's very sweet, Robbie. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's so the great, so great, like in a way, Great Lent is now is serving a function of like being a reminder for me to go light a candle in the, the bedroom. Mm-hmm. It's it's all intertwined and and you know it's just uh, I mean it's all uh, I mean it's it's yeah. So I I think uh, I I think I'm getting whatever experience I'm supposed to be getting out of this. Well, that's that's wonderful. Then yes. Yes. Um, have do you feel like uh, because you've changed your diet, have you had any like weird dreams that you noticed about like eating a lot or anything like that? 
It's funny you should mention that. I was having hmm. a dream where a hamburger was eating me. That's my dream, Jerry. I had a dream last night that a hamburger was eating me. But but it's funny you should mention that, Crystal, because that is uh-huh. the subject of the first segment of Unsolved Mysteries yes. from this from the season five, episode six episode. Yeah, it is a segment devoted entirely to psychic dreams. Yes, yes. Um, yes. Robbie, are you someone who likes to listen to people talk about their dreams? Not typically. I mean, unless I'm involved, I, I usually, mm-hmm. like, if, if I was in the dream, then I'm, I'm kind of actively mm-hmm. engaged. Otherwise, I just sort of zone out. Right. I think most, I, I'm going to assume most people don't most people don't like hearing about another person's dream. Um, I, on the other hand, do enjoy, especially if it's a weird one or if there's like, I feel like, uh, psychological elements to it. I do, especially if it's someone I know, I enjoy hearing about, Oh, I had this really detailed dream and this is, you know, especially if it's really emotional too. Cause Mm -hmm. oftentimes I think that's like your brain trying to work out something, that you're mulling on or a decision you're trying to make. It's your brain's kind of, you know, while you're asleep trying to figure that out for you. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I think it's very interesting. Um, but what we're going to talk about is not. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Unsolved mysteries kind of lined up a couple of, uh, a motley crew here of, folks who claim to have psychic dreams um the first of which is a man named glenn looney loney loney i guess loney yeah glenn yeah professor glenn (laughs) yeah professor glenn and this is hey when is this taking place i don't know like the 70s oh man yeah he he nails it down he's having this dream in the winter of 1972 so uh glenn has this dream that he's and we see it in the reenactment. He's on an unfamiliar road, and there's a curve in the road that he's driving along. And uh, very suddenly in the dream, a, another car comes the other direction towing a trailer, and a wheel pops off the trailer. And Glenn instantaneously knows in the dream that as if he doesn't speed up, he's going to hit the tire, and then he's going to wreck his car, and everyone's going to die. Uh, so that's a dream that he had. Um, really specific visual, too, I think. Yeah. And it's not about anyone he knows or I mean, it's weird because given that I think a lot of dreams are just kind of resurfacing old memories and then mashing them together with other things. um, This doesn't appear to be a memory that Glenn had had. He didn't recognize the road. It wasn't like particularly emotional other than he felt like he was in danger if he didn't speed up. So this this Mm -hmm. one's kind of strange. And so about six months later, he's coming back from a conference with another professor and uh, the two of them are having some kind of professory conversation. Uh, and then suddenly Glenn realizes he's on that bend in the road from his dream. Yes. And all of a sudden the uh, trailer wheel pops off from the car coming the other direction. And uh, Glenn was able to swerve and um, not nothing bad happened. But he had just n- known that he would he had seen it before. Um <clears throat> So I guess the, the through line of all of these is a psychologist named David Ryback um, mm. who have collected these uh, sort of encounters of 
psychic dreams. And one of the criteria that David Ryback throws out for what a psychic dream is, is when you wake up and you remember in great detail what your dream was. Yeah. And that's it. That's kind of the only criteria <laughs> for a psychic dream. And I'm like, well, I think most of us, um, because typically your REM sleep pattern where you're dreaming the heaviest is, is right in that stage right before you wake up in the morning. So you're like, you know, typically a, a person's undisturbed sleep pattern goes, there's lightly sleep and then they're in deep sleep um, mm -hmm. for some period of time. And then they're in REM sleep for like two hours and then they're in light sleep again, and then they wake up. So sometimes you wake up immediately out of REM sleep, and that's most often when we're like having vivid memories of the dream we just had. And yeah. I think it's a pretty common phenomenon that, you know, I can rattle off details of like lots of vivid dreams I've had. Maybe some that I had when I was a child, but they weren't. They didn't like come to fruition or anything. <laughs> some of them were just like silly nonsense that stuck with me for some reason. True. I don't know, Robbie, what do you think? What do you think about that? The criteria for psychic dream. Well, yeah, I mean, well, his, the name of his book, right. Is dreams that come true. So I mm. guess, I guess All it right. has to come true. Um, yeah. I mean, like, uh, as I mentioned before recording, uh, like I've had like an experience that, that seems to fit that sort of criteria of like a, mm. you know, like a, a dream that predicted the future or rather gave me information that I wouldn't have known otherwise. I mean, I can't, I don't mm. want, I don't want to talk about it here on the pod. That's why I tried to tell you about it before we started recording. But, mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I guess I'm, partially receptive to the idea but i'm just i can't help always being suspicious about every single time unsolved mysteries has a segment like this you know especially when well there's it's an, especially when there's an it's author not, involved yeah i mean there's a book to promote but it's also not falsifiable right you can't yeah. test this you can't test <laughs> right. did someone's dream come true um in the case of glenn though what this really sounds like to me though and this happens to me a lot, um, is just deja vu. So you're ha something's happening and suddenly it feels very familiar. Yeah. And just like a vignette or a scene, like the certain, oh, maybe a certain way that the trees are blowing in the wind or the cat crossed the road or something. And that mm -hmm. happens to me a lot to the point where I'm like, oh, did not did this happen before, but I'm like, oh, did I see this in a dream before? Did I see ah. this exact thing happening. And it's just that fleeting sensation of like, oh, this feels very fam like I've seen this before. Um, so, uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's not what happened with Glenn. Maybe Glenn wrote his dream down after he had it. And that's why he knows when he had the dream. But to me, this feels like more of a case of deja vu mm -hmm. than anything, if that makes sense. I, I think I see exactly what you're saying here. And... Okay. You've probably more articulately put it, uh, you know, described it than what I was trying to do before the <laughs> before we started recording. I was like, well, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, there's so many dreams that are going to happen. And you just have a lot of dreams. And, you know, eventually, like, some of them, the stuff that happens in dreams, it's going to, like, happen in real life. Just because, like, everyone dreams every night. And, and you dream every night. Da-da-da-da. 
That's literally literally what I sounded like before the podcast, uh, dear listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another thing that David Ryback is trying to promote here is that you can inherit, inherit the talent of psychic dreaming in a family. And he, without specifying further, said that they've seen all kinds of cases where people had psychic dreams, even though they weren't like raised around each other. So like brothers and sisters that have been separated, but like, you know, cousins after the family has been split apart. It's another thing that they said. So, okay. um, which takes us to uh, Rhonda Anderson, and so she's uh, married and she has a daughter, <clears throat> and her husband Joe uh, was going camping, and he was off camping. Whoa, and whoa, she whoa, has whoa, 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 whoa! What, whoa, whoa, wait, what did wait I skip? A second here, like before what? we even get to that camping trip, let's talk about the reenactment of Rhonda and Joe. Walking down the sidewalk, and he's showing her okay. around. Where, where, where is it? They live. It was like Knoxville or something, right? Yeah, yeah, it was in Tennessee. And there's a reenactment where they're walking down the sidewalk, and like he's pointing stuff out to her. I guess this is shortly after they've gotten married, and maybe she's moved to where he lives. And you can yeah. you can distinctly hear in the dialogue as he's pointing across the street. Yeah, and that's a Greek place. <laughs> So I just felt we had to mention that, Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we we pulled the car over. Yes. <laughs> you you may continue you may continue this trip while I sit in the back of the car okay. and play Game Boy. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> obviously a detail I did not take note of in the reenactment. <laughs> Uh, okay, so, but one of the things that uh, Rhonda had told Joe is that she has psychic dreams. So, um, off, so Joe goes off camping about six months after they're married. And Rhonda has a, has a dream that Joe is encountering a bear. Very specifically, bear camping in the woods. Now, I don't think, you know, sure. <laughs> okay. Seems like that's a pretty common thing to be concerned about. Um, if yes. your husband is off camping, especially in a place where there might be bears, which is a lot of places people go camping. Mm -hmm. uh, so common are bears in campsites that they have these things called bear boxes that you put your food in when yes. you go to bed at night when you're camping. Um, you know, <laughs> doesn't seem that extraordinary, but sure enough, uh, viewers after uh, Rhonda uh, wakes from the dream, she gets a phone call. On a cell phone? I don't know. Maybe there was a payphone at the campsite. And uh, Joe said that there had been a bear around 4 a.m. So, and then, okay, whatever. Um, so then, fast forward, uh, Rhonda has a daughter, Roxanne. I guess not Joe's daughter, but whatever. Okay. Um, Roxanne has a very graphic dream that Joe had driven off the side of the road and there's a reenactment of the dream where there's like the the cars uh belly up with the wheels spinning and all that and then Rhonda has a, has a similar dream and then they tell Joe be careful uh and then two weeks later uh he went camping again it seems like Joe's like really into camping uh well yeah. guess what happens he 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 crashes his car and then he landed in a ditch, just like in the dream. 
Would you say, I mean, it's probably not the thing people immediately think of when their loved one goes to go camping because, you know, you're thinking, Mm -hmm. you're thinking about the the camping specific stuff like a bear. And that reenactment where the bear is in the camp is just glorious. Is it not? Mm. Hey, hey. He was running amok. Yeah, like, I, I don't know about you, but because in the reenactment, Joe's basically just trying to shoo the bear away, right? I would not yeah. try that. I, that's no. not, that doesn't seem like a wise idea. He's not, he's not like a rack. I wouldn't even try to shoo away a raccoon. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you wouldn't a, mess with a raccoon, is what you're saying. No, absolutely not. Have you, like, I mean, I can only I can only assume the bite or scratch of a raccoon is going to be pretty vicious. Now, well, yeah, I guess if what you're encountering is a like a rabid raccoon, but raccoons, you know, they're very curious, but they're not aggressive. I don't know. I was driving back from. Uh, I knew someone who, <laughs> for uh, when they were in college, they lived north of campus at UNR. This is another mm-hmm. UNR story for all those people who hate it <laughs> when we tell. Um, but uh, so, you know, it's like uh, at that, in, you know, you know how there's the, the self-storage place. Uh, mm-hmm. north, yeah, I know. North, ex- I know exactly yeah. where. That, yep. Yeah. And you go across McCarran and you go up mm-hmm. the hill and there's some really nice houses. I knew someone who like her and all of her siblings all lived in the same house that their parents owned. Like. So, mm-hmm. yeah, as each of them went to college, they like there's sort of overlap. Some of them were there at the same time and whatnot. Uh, and mm-hmm. I was driving back from her place and, and I hadn't reached McCarran yet. And there was this group of like four or five raccoons walking across the mm-hmm. road. And I waited mm-hmm. for them to pass. And as I was driving by, one of them hissed at me. And I was just like, Ooh. oh, oh, God. Uh and I was just like, I was so glad I was in a, I had a car around me to, to you know, it was like, but I just drove away from there. And, and ever since then, you can add raccoons onto the, like the same like list of things that trigger me along with lava. And <laughs> <laughs> for, for a long time listeners. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a throwback to like. Jesus, season one or something like that. Right, right. It was like years ago. Yeah. yeah. I I mean, the uh, like animals that I might be willing to shoo away. I, I mean, I might. Uh-huh. I might try to. I, I might have enough courage to try to shoo away a possum. Um, Ooh, interesting. And, you know, if if if, if that didn't work, uh, I would just, you know, I'd get like a, a sheet of paper let it walk on top mm-hmm. of it, put a glass over it and carry it out to <laughs> like I do with spiders and let it go, mm-hmm. you know, like 20 feet away. Uh, Cause I, yeah. you know, I, I, I can't, I can't harm. I can't. I'm not harm. sure that you're getting a possum in a glass. <laughs> well, I, it was symbolism. <laughs> Crystal. <laughs> but, uh, I'm sorry. I've taken us so far afield. My my whole point was like, you know, bears mm-hmm. are something you specifically like. You specifically associate with camping, whereas driving. I mean, you don't specifically think of it that like uh, in conjunction with camping, other than if like it's through a mountain road or pass or something. But though, 
really the thing is of course statistically you should probably be worried about more about the drive your your significant other's drive to the campsite than anything there and sure enough <laughs> he allowed joe allowed himself to get distracted and ended up in a ditch um he's probably distracted by his wife and stepdaughter's psychic dreams that had told him to be careful they made him all nervous you know they made him all nervous you know the thing is this the the first psychic dream that Rhonda has it's on the night of the bear encounter these other set of psychic dreams are fully like two weeks before he goes camping and flips his car yeah so um <laughs> well anyway <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything Point. more to say about that. Yeah, then you don't have um, to. So the final the final boss in the psychic dream segment, I guess, is uh Catherine Webb. And um Catherine, she's uh, you know, an elderly woman now. Uh and they really slide by some more interesting details than the dream itself, uh, in the retelling of her psychic dream. <laughs> But, um, you know, during during the war there, uh, 20, 20 year old Catherine uh, fell in love with this soldier named Joe. And, um, you know, they both wanted to get married, but uh, they they felt pulled to uh, help out with their families uh, more. And eventually, you know, they were friends and then they went on a few more dates according to Catherine. It just kind of never went anywhere because they just couldn't, they couldn't get the timing right, which is, I get it. That's rough. Sometimes it's the right person, but it's not the right time, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so no hard feelings or anything like that. Interestingly though, <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, uh, f- finally, uh, the age of 47 in the year 1965 decides to settle down. <laughs> And uh, her first marriage, I assume. And she gets married to her next door neighbor. So (laughs) here's how I think that went. (laughs) Okay. Based on this information. As Catherine was just living her life. You know, she's made it, you know, she had her true love when she was 20 and it didn't work out. And so she just kind of got on with it, you know. And uh, then she had this neighbor who she probably... You know, they probably said hi to each other. Maybe it escalated to, you know, the occasional come over for, you know, tea. And then maybe it escalated to watching a movie. And then this guy was just like, hey, you know, this is convenient. Why don't we get married? (laughs) (laughs) And she was just like, you know, this guy, you know, I'm 47. This guy's probably not going to expect any kids out of me or whatever. What do I got to lose? So, uh that's that. <laughs> That's my theory of a great ro- second. I believe it's a Catherine. theory that fits the facts. <laughs> I just, you know, I just hate that the Unsolved Mysteries just added that detail and then blew right by it because it was like you didn't actually need to tell us that she got married at 47 to her neighbor. <laughs> That's not relevant to the story whatsoever, but you just decided it's to drop a, that interesting It's a cautionary detail. tale to all the la- uh, ladies like, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't want to be a spinster like like the subject of this segment. Yeah. Well, then you just who's left your neighbor? Right. You know? Right. Uh <laughs> So this one involves Catherine having a reoccurring dream and um, uh, the way uh, 
I, I guess the reoccurring dream was something like she saw nurses and doctors working on a patient, but she couldn't see who they were working on or anything like that. Um, she did get this feeling this this dream was about her old love, Joe, from the war. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, um, and this is the reenactment that we get, uh, Catherine has a dream that she's in her kitchen and um, Joe appears. And Joe's very unbothered, I would say, is his demeanor in this reenactment. He's very chill. Yeah. He's like, listen, Catherine, guess what? I'm dead. It's true. I died. And uh, Catherine's like, what? And then Joe's like, come on, come with me. And then they, uh, in the dream, they go to a church. And then Joe's like, there's my dumb body. It's dead. Look at it. It's really great uh, in the reenactment. They they sort of, they depict how, how often... In you know dreams, we we dream we're in a place, and then we walk out into what should be say like the living room, and instead we're we're now in like a, a like a hedge maze, or we're we're you know on a on an alien planet, or we're mm-hmm. you know on the you know any any sort of location because they walk from her kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know, around the corner into the church in one one shot, uh, which mm-hmm. I mean, obviously what, what this is, is that this church has a kitchen area uh, uh, as part mm-hmm. of it, the structure. But they whoever found this on their scouting or, or just happened to know, like, hey, here's what we can do. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we'll just make and they do, you know, the, the woman who's portraying her. In the in the reenactment segment, does a really good job of acting like you know when when they step, go through the hallway and then they're in the church like looking around like why why are we in a church the, the this doesn't look like my living room, <laughs> mm. yeah, I think that helped maintain the dreamlike quality of it though, which was suddenly going oh, being totally. very suddenly in your kitchen and then like now I'm in a church exactly know? yeah. So they did a good job with this. Um, And one of the things that Catherine said that in her dream, when she looked down at what was supposed to be Joe's body, she didn't recognize him. And either that was because he had um, his body had changed from illness or age or something like that. But she, it just, you know, it's that very dreamlike sense of, you know, who someone is in a dream, even if they don't look Mm -hmm. like how they look, but you just know it's them. It's the essence of them. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's again, like in dreams, you'll see something. And even if like, it really doesn't look like a particular thing in your dream head canon, you know that it, it is, it is this. And, and so, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, so yeah. obvious. Yeah. That's a good way of describing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Catherine, after having this dream, which obviously stuck with her, she contacted Joe's uh, sister and, and her husband. And uh, they they told Catherine that, in fact, he'd passed away. And then there's a scene where the reenactors are sitting around a kitchen table and Catherine's rattling off, you know, what she'd seen in the dream. And I guess Joe's sister confirmed that, uh, you know, it was just as she said and that he'd been sick for a very long time. So he didn't he didn't look 
like himself when he died. Yeah. Um, and then as an added detail, I guess Jill had actually gone into a coma on the same day that she had her first dream about doctors and nurses. So. Right. right. And thinking that it was Joe. So, um, you know, we don't get an update on this <laughs> whole segment because how could we possibly? Uh, I This last one stuck with me, though, because I feel... I I feel the most inclined to believe this one. Oh, okay. And I think when you are even over, even though it had been many years, I think when you're emotionally attached to somebody, yeah, you you can kind of feel their. You have a sense of them, always. I think, and uh, especially, I don't know. It's just kind of like when I have a dream about a friend. Mm-hmm. And then they like text me the next day when I haven't talked to them in a long time. They're like, "Oh, I was thinking about you," and I'll be like, "Oh, that's so weird. I just had a dream about you." I think just when you're attached to people, you you have these little like interconnections and start getting on the same vibrations. So maybe you know Catherine's dream was very on the nose, but maybe you know I think a lot of us have experienced something like, "Oh, we have a dream about a friend we haven't talked to in forever," and then you find out on Facebook that like they're getting married or something like that. You know what I mean? I know explicitly what you're talking about that's what my (laughs) my own personal experience with this dream stuff was like yeah yeah i think that's just when people are part of your brain you know sometimes there's they when their vibrations hit your wavelengths it's like tuning into a radio man Mm mm-hmm precisely uh so, yeah, no update, because how could we ever update this ever? <laughs> um, I, I got to admit, I kind of, like, tuned out some parts of this whole segment because it was p- other people talking about their dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Can't blame I, you there. I kind of care about, but not really. Yeah. Oh, Robbie, listen, we got we to gotta leave Dreamland and get down to some very real stuff here. It's real yeah. dark darkness. Yeah, we're we're, we're, we're leaving the, the the light and airy topics of people having psychic dreams, and uh, we're going to move on to unfortunately uh, several murders. Uh, the next segment uh, takes us down to New Orleans. We get some stock footage of Mardi Gras. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun. Um. But what's yeah, not- but you know, underneath uh, underneath all the celebration and jazz music is a dark and seedy underbelly, because Isn't that's that- what Robert Stack says. Yeah, I mean, and I feel like that's literally how every movie or documentary or depiction of New Orleans in media, any form of media, always starts out mm-hmm. with. Like, it's always like, New Orleans seems like a big, fun-loving place on the surface, but underneath, there's darkness. Yeah, um, I feel, you know, that's L.A. too, though. L.A., it's like beaches, sunshine, fame, sexy people, but also tons of murder. I mean, there's an entire genre of movies and books based on oh, right. Los yeah. Angeles uh, having a CD underbelly, despite all the sunshine. Chinatown. Um, I think, yeah. L.A. Yeah, Confidential. No, I mean, we, yeah, Drive. there's literally a whole genre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder if there's a genre, though, of like... Uh, Hi, and I would love to learn about it. If anybody knows, can recommend any books or movies or anything like that about like sort of like there's like 
uh, Bayou Noir. I mean, I guess True Detective, sort of, but that didn't take place in New Orleans at first right. season. That was definitely in that vein. But like, if anybody can recommend something, please tweet or email me. I would love, I would love to get more into this. I'm sure there has if the, to if be. this exists. It, but yeah, yeah there's probably like a book series or something, right? Like, yeah, oh yeah, like a like a crime crime version of like you know as as Anne Rice is has put vampires in New Orleans. I'm sure you know there's there's a crime you know a version involving crime in New Orleans and and what? Yeah, I'm not really looking for vampire shit to be clear. No, no, I, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I just I just meant to illustrate <laughs> that that New Orleans yeah. has a specific flavor. And so, whether it's vampires or true crime, or any any other topic, uh, it's going to be infused with a certain certain uniqueness to it. I would Cajun flavored crime. I I, I I I'm glad you said it because I was struggling to re- keep myself from from throwing that out there. But yes, um, yeah, I. Uh, You've yeah. been you've been to New Orleans, right? I I have a couple of times. Yeah, how was the Cajun food? I've never I've never had so. Uh, listen, everything that has happened, I don't well except for the crime, I guess. I'm gonna I'm like I'm gonna take a very bold stance on this oh, podcast. Boy. And there um, goes our New Orleans I'm gonna listeners. Say, huh? What's up? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Um, I'm going to say that New Orleans, I mean, not that I, I have never been to certain chunks of the United States. I haven't been everywhere, but I'm saying of the cities I've been to in the United States, uh, it's, it's the objectively the best one. Fascinating. That's my stance on New Orleans. I would, I would love to live there. Um, if not for the fact that um it's just underwater a lot which is sucks i mean there's just like some basic infrastructure stuff that's missing that um i i don't think i could quite do it full time but i would i think it's incredible it's the best place you need to live on a boat yeah <laughs> you should you should live on a boat um yeah no new new orleans is the best place uh the food is incredible the people i mean there's just so much art there's so much music and you can have a great time and completely avoid the French Quarter and all that nonsense. Um, it feels very European, too. It's just mm-hmm. very unique kind of city in the United States. Um, if you get a chance to go do one of the Bayou tours on an airboat, that's maybe one of my favorite things I've ever done. Okay. Was getting to like... Because the Bayou is so... It's so unique and it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful and like dangerous and... It's just cool. So, like, if, anyways, we're way off. I'm, we're way, way, way off. Hey, this if, if terrible Chad story that we're about to tell, but like, please, if you get the chance, uh, get your vaccine. Please go visit New Orleans. It's just truly, it's just truly a unique and special place, and just everything you're gonna eat is gonna be great, and just you're gonna have a great time. If Chattanooga's tourism department won't give us any cash, maybe New Orleans will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done repping for Chattanooga. They didn't. They didn't do anything they for reenacting. Yeah, I'm done with them. Well, I'm done with them. Unfortunately, as we discussed, there is uh, a, a dark underbelly, um, and it manifested itself in the early '90s in the form of uh, uh, what presumably was a serial killer 
because the, the yeah and when when stack teased this before they went broke for commercial i got really excited because i thought they were going to talk about the axe man in new orleans oh but this yeah. turns out turns out no they're talking about a more recent serial killer <laughs> right. sorry yes um yeah no this is uh in this one we the 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 victims that were found they were all found uh along roadways covered in trash at what are described as illegal dump sites uh Mm -hmm. that's a that's a common occurrence not the the bodies but you know having illegal dump sites is a very common occurrence in dayton nevada um Mm -hmm. you know people just and that's uh, just where a community decides the trash goes yeah, just, well, I mean, just the multiple places, people just, like, drive out in the, somewhere where there's no one around, and they just dump, dump, out, dump out the trash. Um, it's It's gotten to the point where there's, like, there's actually, like, a group of people voluntarily over the week, during the weekends, go out and just clean this garbage up. And if they find uh-huh. anything with your, like, uh, any information that identifies you, they post it on fa- Facebook to shame you. Uh, which is always fun. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's yeah, yeah. For that's it that happens. That's that's what you get for bo- both being irresponsible enough to just throw your trash out in the middle of the the beautiful sagebrush desert, and also being stupid mm-hmm. enough to leave stuff in in the, in it that identifies right. you. Um, well, I assume that that Venn and those two circles overlap heavily in that Venn diagram. Yeah, right. But yeah, so there are, yeah, it seems to be that in this segment, they're describing locations where people frequently just dump their trash out, presumably because they're relatively isolated uh, or out of view. So you 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 have like a couple of minutes to just dump your trash bags or, or whatever and uh, drive off. And uh, unfortunately, some deranged individual was uh, strangling women. And then leaving their bodies at these sites, uh, we get sort mm-hmm. of a, a reenactment of a man walking along with one of those grabbers, picking up cans, and uh, mm-hmm. for recycling. And if you noticed, Crystal, what mm-hmm. the intersection was that he was at, they have it right up, like prominently featured in uh-huh. the frame of of the the reenactment. Uh-huh. Like like the camera is like like it's put. They do it a couple of times, like they're mm-hmm. really trying to let you know that this is happening at this intersection. I don't know why, because it's never mentioned in the segment. It doesn't seem to have any bearing. But the 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 people directing the segment really wanted you to know that the, uh, these bodies were being found at the intersection of Berman and uh-huh. Nevada. Oh, I did notice that. Yes. Then it was Nevada. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was more significant of, I mean, I feel like you're kind of riding me on this episode a little bit. Like I'm being tested and I'm just failing. Oh God, I'm sorry. Completely to notice these things. I, I, no, I, I, I'm not meaning to. I just, I was so excited to see Nevada. I just wanted to build it up. But yes, this, this general, this gentleman who's doing some recycling is he's picking up cans with one of those grabbers. Those are always fun. But then he, he has the. Uh, he stumbles upon one of the victims. And so, you know, we get some reenactments of the um, uh, authorities doing their thing. 
they discuss how there were other bodies uh, in, uh, dumped in different uh, jurisdictions nearby. So they kind of came to the conclusion that this might be the same person behind mm -hmm. all of these. And we get a reenactment of a woman that's only identified as Brenda uh, in the interview. Mm -hmm. Her face is blacked out and she's just, she's just walking home. And they said that they, they had speculated that this guy's MO was that he was specifically targeting prostitutes. Mm -hmm. So in the, in the reenactment, they kind of make it look like he's approach. He's driving up alongside her sort of, you know, seemingly under the impression that she might be a prostitute, which I would find very insulting to be described as if, as it turns out that she was simply walking home and mm -hmm. he, you know, he's persistently saying, Hey, I'll, I'll, I want to give you a ride. And she refused. And then he, he stops the car and gets out um, and like pulls her into the car and it was sort of interesting. The woman doing the reenactment, she just sort of meekly goes along with him. Uh, just, you know, mm -hmm. like, like she's being like, like how you might have a small kid that you're pulling and they're not, they're not actively fighting you or dragging, but mm -hmm. they're just sort of like, they're, go they're, they're walking along. You just sort of have to like be holding their hand when, when you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's how it kind of plays off. Uh, then they uh, they end up driving past her her the place she was trying to get to, and about uh, you know half a mile later they stop at that same site and the guy strangles her. She tries to fight him off, mm -hmm. but he uh, he overwhelms her. I guess she she must have just passed out or something, and he must have just assumed she was dead. I, I guess, mm -hmm. and then she. She describes waking up, uh, you know, in one of these trash piles, but mm -hmm. it's, you know, they describe how the, these, the, I think stack says that she woke up buried underneath trash, like trash mm -hmm. and, and tires. And I'm assuming that my assumption was that that was suggesting that this guy was sort of like trying to conceal her body with the, with trash mm -hmm. that he brought. Presumably, it was in his trunk or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, the alternative is really depressing, which is what if he just dumped her body and then people who are coming along to do illegal dumping just like just ignored her and just threw the trash on her and, and left? Mm -hmm. I mean, which I don't think like I don't think most illegal dumpers would be quite that callous, but. I imagine there's probably a yeah. subset of, of of them that would. So she wakes up. the The woman re playing the role of her, sort of like you know, she she's naked. Uh, she wanders down the street. We see the Berman and uh, Nevada cross sign, mm. and they ba they basically discuss in this segment. You know, they they find other victims, one underneath a a, a bridge in Greater New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, this guy's M.O., he seems like he, he's always strangling his victims. He's, he strips off their mm -hmm. clothes and then he leaves them the face down and in, in dump sites. Um, and I believe they did not catch him. 
No. Uh, do you want to hear what the wiki has to say about this? Sure. Quickly. Um, I'm just going to read it because it's uh, complicated. <laughs> so I'm not going to try and summarize this. But uh, I guess from... Be- so this episode that we are talking about aired in um, October of 1992. Yeah. Um, so after the episode aired from 1992 to 1995 at least 18 more women have been killed in the new orleans area local police and the fbi suspect that they may have been also also been victims of the same killer victor gant a new orleans police officer is is suspected in the 1995 murders of karen ivester and sharon robinson who were believed to have been murdered on the same night by the same killer a shoe print tread next to karen's body matched sharon's shoe Sharon was Gant's ex-girlfriend, and she previously claimed that he had abused her. Oh, a cop hit his girlfriend. Oh, big surprise. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) it doesn't say that in the wiki. He has never been charged, and some believe the investigators may have covered up his involvement because he was a fellow officer. Again, who's surprised by that information? Okay. uh, However, in 1998, another suspect named Russell Elwood was arrested for the murders of Cheryl Lewis and Dolores Mack. Two of the suspected victims who were found murdered in February of 1993, Elwood was later charged with second degree murder and expected is suspected in a total of eight murders. So I guess what it's saying here um, is that this might have been these might not have all been the same person who did all of these. I guess that's what I'm taking away from. Okay, this. yeah, it seems possible. Um, in the past, Elwood. Yeah, Elwood had made several statements alluding to the fact that he murdered prostitutes while in jail on unrelated charges. He described in graphic detail how he drugged and choked prostitutes before dragging their naked bodies away. He later confessed to an investigator that he had taken a black female and placed her in the water. Elwood's ex-girlfriend testified that he had taken her to two of his victims' bodies. He'd also... He was also found hanging around the area that Cheryl's body was found a year prior. He reportedly had been seen several times prior to her murder. Investigators later discovered that he was in Ohio at the time of Dolores' murder, so the charges in that case were dropped. In 1999, he was convicted of Cheryl's murder and sentenced to life in prison. Gant, Gant, the officer, remains a suspect in several of the murders, but he's not been charged. As of 2016, investigators have been working on testing evidence at the crime scenes for DNA. Investigators also believe that another suspect in the murders may still be out there has never been identified. So I guess it wasn't just one. Horrifyingly, there were three different men <laughs> in New Orleans doing this type of activity that with a remarkably similar MO. So men, uh, there you got men, it. Men are scary, right? Yeah, don't don't talk to them and don't get in the car with them. <laughs> sounds, just to, just avoid men. Sounds like solid advice. But you to should me. probably do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, but here's maybe one man we shouldn't avoid. He sounds okay. His name is James Vernon. Yes. This takes us back to the early 80s. Uh, uh, this is a new segment. This isn't the murder segment anymore. This <laughs> right, right, is a right, lost yeah, loves. Yeah, no, no. New segment. James, James Vernon is an innocent man. Um, yes. He was... Uh, uh, he was a when we see him at the beginning of the segment they depict a man who is he's he's addicted to drugs i think heroin right and uh mm-hmm. he's just uh he's just in a bad condition and he comes across yeah. some sort of number for like a help you know a help hotline just sort of like a, a number. yeah when it, yeah 
one of the things that James said is like, you know how some people have like their careers being a doctor, their career is being an accountant. His career was getting drugs. <laughs> that was his career, <laughs> according to James. That's what he said. Yeah, yeah. That's what he said. That, that sounds that sounds exactly like the sort of comedy that uh, James Vernon would would throw out there. We'll we'll get to that a little bit later in in this segment. Mm. Um, and he he. Yeah, we get a reenactment where like it starts out like you see his 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 feet and then Nito just drops right right in the middle of them mm. and you see him undoing the mm. thing band around his arm. He's he's obviously just had his fix. Mm. And the mm. guy you know, he just sort of, he's wandering the street. He finds the the number at some point and this woman named Libby uh, talks with him and I guess gives I you know I was never entirely clear what she was telling him but it was just I, I guess just a lot of nurturing mm. and encouraging things mm. um, and so we have James sort of discussing in uh, how sort of the, the positive impact that she she has on his life in the mm. in the days and weeks that follow, he he talks with her more on the phone. Um, kind of, you know, sort of like it inspires him. Like, hey, I got to get my life together, and so he gets uh, he gets back together with uh, what was it an an ex girlfriend or an ex wife? His ex wife, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he moves back in with her. Things seem to be going well. Like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, you know. I'm getting my life back on track. And then they did, they just really immediately jumped to like, Oh, but then he, he fell off the wagon and started doing drugs again. And we get this reenactment where he, he comes, he comes in through the front door, like, Hey babe, I'm home. But, and then the, the whole house is empty, which mm-hmm. would confuse me a little bit because it was her place, right? He was moving back in with her. Yes. And then and then when she was like, "No, I can't be I can't be around this guy if he's not doing drugs." Mm. Instead of him getting kicked out, she just has all the stuff packed up and yeah. leaves in the middle of the day. Yeah, she bounced. Yeah. She was like, "I'm out of here." Yeah. Um and so he he's, you know, he's despondent. Uh, he's basically, he's, he decides that he's just going to, uh, do, do heroin until he dies. Right. Just, I mean, listen, if I'm going to go, that's exactly how I'm going, by the way. Yeah. I don't do heroin now. I've never had it, but I've just decided right now. Well, I mean, you'd be in the co- you'd be in going. the company of many of our, our finest rock musicians, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would have to like figure out where to get heroin first. <laughs> that, that seems yeah, that 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 problematic. That'd but. be the main main stumbling block. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm making a joke about suicide, but people need to calm down. We've all thought about it. Moving on. Yeah. So uh, before he does, though, he uh, he has a phone call with Libby. You know, she's trying to talk him down from this. During the phone conversation, he actually takes out a needle and injects himself. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, he 
but he's talking to her on a payphone in the rain. And, you know, in the reenactments, Libby sort of, you see her face, but it's in profile and the top part is mostly sort of shadowed, but uh, I guess it's just sort of, it's symbolic of how he doesn't actually know what she looks like to him. She's just a voice Mm -hmm. on the phone, Uh, you know, and she's just, she talks him down. It's like, you know, don't, don't do it. You got, you, you, you can get past this. And sure enough, hmm. uh, in the uh, in the reenactment, we we jump from him leaning against a telephone pole in the soaking rain. It transitions to him hmm. up on a stage at a comedy club telling jokes because he is a wow. stand-up comedian. What a turnaround! <laughs> yeah, um, uh, and <laughs> were you a fan of his stand-up comedy, Crystal? <laughs> I've never heard of this guy. Neither before the segment. Neither had I. Maybe, maybe he was. Maybe if we were like adults in the late eighties, early nineties, we we would know mm, him. Maybe uh, I don't know. In the reenact, yeah, I in the reenactment, the audience at the the three tables that they use to make it look like this is a comedy club, their laughter seems mostly perfunctory, which I guess makes sense since they're extras mm. in a <laughs> unsolved mysteries segment. But it's very polite. Yeah. Like there's a sign behind him going off saying like laugh or something. Yeah, or look, this guy's had, had, had a hard life. We're trying to get his, him back on track and off drugs. Just laugh at his jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I. it's funny when you you mentioned never having heard of him. I tried to look him up on Wiki, you know, on the Internet. Yeah, oh, like, hey, yeah. is this and I mean, you know, he's not a. You know, a huge. He wasn't a huge stand-up comedian. I mean, he, you know, he he was sort of like a, a lower tier kind of celebrity. Um, I thought I found him on Wikipedia, but I oh yes, uh, he was in some films and stuff. Uh, oh. yeah, my my minor you know minor bit stuff like being on you know mm-hmm. a, playing like a park employee on Chips and and and, and such. But they, gotcha. but the, but the Wikipedia entry for him didn't make any goddamn sense because they said that he had died in 1987, which is like several years before this, uh, before this <laughs> segment even took place. Okay. Uh, and I, according to the Unsolved Mysteries Wikipedia, he actually died in uh, 2011, which makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah, well, he got sober in 82. Right. So this is 10 years after him finally kicking the habit. Yeah. And he's trying to, he's trying to find this counselor that he never met was on the phone with. Right. That but, he credits for. But I mean, they life. interview him at, on the segment and, you know, so, I mean, he's, he's alive at the yeah. time of the episode airing, which is in the early nineties. Yeah. He's definitely alive. Yeah. <laughs> the segment. Is that in contention? No, no, I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure this sure is like. I mean, alive. you know, Wikipedia has a factual error in it. Who would have known? Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, uh, uh, he he. We got to update though, yes, right? They Libby called in. Um, she didn't actually reveal her real name or 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 anything because she's still she's she was still doing the counselor stuff, but she got to talk to James so. I guess James, you know, he was able to tell her how much she meant to him, which must have felt really nice. 
that's great. And I'm glad I'm glad at the time of this segment, which is 10, 10 years afterwards, right? She's still being a counselor. Right. I think that's really yeah. cool. It's really good. So props to props to Libby. She's saving lives one phone call at a time, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Precisely. Um all right. Well, that's very heartwarming. Let's talk about something that isn't. <laughs> <laughs> When they were teasing this segment before commercial, uh, Robert Stack called him like another Con Juan or something. I'm like, oh my god, are we already getting into repeat segments? Because we already had Con Juan, yeah. I mean, Don the Con Juan. We already had that one. Yeah, I, I, I didn't realize Um, that because there was a specific guy who they called Con Juan, and I didn't realize that his specific name became the term for the entire genre. Um. Yeah. yeah. Well, they really tried to make it happen. Like, they really made, like, Con Juan happen. I'm not accepting happen. it. They were trying to make it happen. I'm not accepting um, it. Another term that Unsolved Mysteries uses a lot is Sweetheart Swindler. But for whatever reason, they didn't use it for this guy. This guy's name is JD Method. Now, they could have made some jokes about the JD Method, <laughs> which they didn't <laughs> for some reason. I don't know. I guess I wasn't in the writer's room. Uh, anyway, so this guy, uh, we're th- basically, we interview one woman, and um, then there's another one that gets interviewed in the dark that he had also s- swindled. But uh, uh, the, the, here's the, there's some thing that JD's doing where he t- he's, like, trying to get some cars. Like, he takes the woman he's dating to buy a new car. Um, so Peggy Peterson, who actually decided to appear on camera... Uh, so I guess he's playing, he's like doing personal ads or something. I don't know. Whatever. Peggy takes her to the car dealership and then like, JD's like, I gotta get this car. I don't know. Does anyone ever have to get a car? Like he was acting like, oh, it's this really good deal. It's this really good investment. I'm here to tell you folks, um, you get a car for two reasons because you need transportation or because you really enjoy driving. There's no situation where it's a good investment. (laughs) Like. Unless unless you get it off, off public surplus and you then flip it. Yeah, I, I I do know people that have turned around and made money off of buying a car, but it's not enough to like. No, no, I mean it's it's not pr- you know make you rich. Right, it's it's not like real estate or or, any, or anything. No, this is a car is not real estate <laughs> anyway. So, uh, you know. Methods talking about at the car dealership. So, well, I'm not really liquid enough to like get on. I don't have enough cash to, you know, buy this car right now. And then I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, then why are we at the car dealership? Right. Why are you even, why I could have been like taking a bath at home and now you're wasting my time at a car dealership and I've only known you for a couple of weeks. Like, what is this? Mm-hmm. But I realize not everyone is suspic- <laughs> suspicious as I am. Or just like, or just uh, to be annoyed about having to be dragged somewhere. You know, you have your whole schedule. Right. And it's like, why are we here? If you're not, if you're not wanting to purchase, you're not even. And then so Peggy's like, okay, well, you need 500 bucks for a down payment. I'll just write you the check right now. And then JD Method was like, I don't know. That's not right. And he like tears up the check in, in front of her. And he's like, I'm not taking. I'm not taking your money. But then the next day, because obviously what happened at the car dealership was a test. Yeah. 
The next day, JD calls Peggy and he's like, oh, my uncle's so sick and he needs immediate surgery because the way, I mean, even in America, um, you don't get surgery withheld until you pay. That's not a thing. You get the surgery, you get billed later. Even in this fucked up country in our healthcare system, there's no situation where you have to cough up $500 before someone can have a surgery. (laughs) Not how this works. Cash up front. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> that's not how this works um anyway but like yeah he makes up some bullshit story about his uncle's ill and he needs the surgery and so then obviously jd knows peggy has the 500 dollars, right mm-hmm. so um it did seem so, so uh, you it know. did seem to me that he was kind of pushing it like doing the test moment the day before um mm-hmm. i mean at least like wait a couple of weeks or even you know, I mean, if it was me, I would yeah. have like a couple of more test moments or, or things just to show like, no, I'm yeah. not going to take your money. Right. Unless I really need it or yeah. something. Um, yeah. But the, th- the other thing is, is like Peggy said, she's like, well, he knows I didn't spend five hundred dollars overnight. <laughs> he knows I didn't do that. I still have right. it. So. um so there's that. And then he obviously doesn't pay that money back. And then three months after they meet uh, JD and Peggy, uh, JD asks her for $9,600 for a trip. That's a lot. Where in 1990 are you going with $9,600? Like around the world? <laughs> what are you doing? This is- it's a lot of money for a vacation. I got business. I got um, business to conduct in Nepal. So I, I need a. I guess you need to hire a Sherpa. <laughs> I don't know. What are you doing with $9,600 in 1990? Yeah. Anyway, obviously, JD uh, gets out of town with all that money. He never comes back. So it kind of seems like his MO is that he would be working, like ending the con with one woman and then starting an, a new one uh, with another woman at the same time. So he's always having that income coming in. Right. Um, uh, then there's a whole other thing with this, this woman, Amelia, with another car scam that I don't quite understand. Um, he needs money for this and then that and deep dot deep do. And she ends up taking equity out on her home. Um, and then he has a promissory note that he gives her saying that he would pay her back. But it, the way that he filled it out was, uh, (laughs) Said that she owed him the right. money, not the other way around. Cle- yeah, that's uh, uh he's, um, just, he's just a he's a swindler. Yeah, yeah. um, yeah. I mean, this is uh, tale as old as time. And then there's a third woman um that he meets, and then she gives him fifteen thousand dollars or whatever, and and then uh, all, the police start gathering some intelligence that all these victims are coming forward about. And so he finally goes on the run. So this is a, uh, wanted segment. We're looking for JD method. Um, so I don't remember if there was an update on the episode of unsolved mysteries. There's an update in the wiki. Robbie, do you remember if there was like a little white text? There was, um, I got captured. He got sent to prison. Uh, I mean, I, I, he's 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 definitely been released since then. I think he served like 16 years or something. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what? I, um, go go on. Yes. Oh, it, I was gonna say. 
No, yep. just I was, and he he was he was capped. He was nope. captured. He was yep. captured. Uh, 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 uh. ah. ah, yeah. He was captured in Beaverton, Oregon, which is uh, yes. on the outskirts of Portland, and not uh, I. Yes, and a place uh, that's sort of the area where uh, I have a bunch of relatives scattered around. So, yeah. oh. What would have been funny is if he had like settled in Medford, Oregon, <laughs> and was like, "Okay, I got all this yeah, money. Yeah, he would have been with his people. I need to like, yeah, I can't, I can't like get, I won't be able to keep up with this like forever. I'm going to get caught at some point. I just mm-hmm. got to take the cash I have now, and just you plow it into like some investments, so that that mm-hmm. I can just legitimately make money and not have to like stay one step ahead." So I'll just go down to this mm-hmm. investment firm. Uh, they're offering twenty five percent return. <laughs> it would have been great if, like, all his, all the money he'd swindled, he then lost to like a Medford hustler. I mean, that would have been um, just desserts, I guess. Yes. In his case, yes. you know, we do see a picture. We do get a picture of JD Method. I remember now in the the update, and I always I always just expect these guys to be like stunners and they never are no and and not, not even in the reenact often in the reenactment the person that who's portraying them really isn't all mm-hmm. that great looking either like the guy playing him in the reenactment looks like the villain from dark man mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh god maybe it was um you know, and I, I, I was thinking about something, too, and the way that Peggy was talking about him, like she didn't know him all that well. She wasn't, like, in love with him. It didn't seem like J.D. wasn't, like, promising her the world or anything. Yeah. Um, and she seemed like, basically, she gave him the money because she got caught up, like, caught up in, well, she offered it to him the day before, and then... So he knew that she had it. And then the next day, well, obviously she wasn't going to, you know, woman, you have had overnight to think about the bullshit that he pulled yesterday. You you slept on it. And then he called you. You know, he's telling you bullshit. You know that Mm -hmm. you're not dumb. But I wonder, I feel like so much, so much of these con Juan things, except for, you know, there's women who are like genuinely get their heart broken, but most of them just seem rather annoyed. (laughs) Like they like they had to out of politeness or obligation fork up some money because these guys knew that they had it. It's not too dissimilar from when you have a friend who gets involved with some sort of multi-level marketing thing and they're selling some crap mm-hmm. and you just feel like obligated to make some obligatory purchases, even though you don't right. want any of this garbage, but you're just like, sure. Yeah. It's like, gosh, I maybe you know, just so, like I mean, you're you're basically just giving them some money to tide them over until they like get a real job. Yeah, I, I mean, but at least that's uh, they're offering you a product. They're not just <laughs> a lying to you and taking your money. Right. right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's definitely it's definitely <laughs> it's it is a little bit lo- like that, except in JD Method's case, he he was the multi level. Right, right. I mean, scheme. I mean, he he used the same amount of like guilt tripping, like oh, come on. But like, yeah, like like you say, yeah. at least with the other thing, the person is trying. You know, they're, they're 
you're getting something in return. Now, now, granted, the right. these these aromic scented candles are many times more expensive and you know only nearly as yeah. effective as the ones you could just buy at Walmart. Yeah, but well, we all have some Cutco knives in our drawers <laughs> from these times. Yes, yes, <laughs> that have happened. I uh, yeah, I can't, uh, I can't say I haven't like. I've bought Cutco <laughs> knives. I've bought Sensi. I've bought all the, the this crap uh, from from people. Just you know, I'm looking at across from the from the table. I'm like, okay, if this if this is the best you can do. Well, I think we've probably uh, isolated or not isolated, um, turned off probably a good chunk of our <laughs> audience with this last bit. We um, start receiving but Cutco you, knives and Sensi products in the mail in a very menacing manner. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, listen, don't give your money to the, those places. Give it to us on our Patreon because you're getting a high quality... You're getting a pretty good quality podcast. And if for that, and you can, and if not that, you can help us least, uh, keep it yeah, going. And, and if if not that, at least uh, uh, follow us on Twitter at Reenacted Pod. Give us five stars yeah, on iTunes and, mm-hmm. or where wherever you download your your podcasts. Yep, you wherever you download it, wherever you're hearing it, just slap it. Slap a five star on there. And if, hey, if you haven't liked what you listen to, you don't need to say anything. It's another option for you. Just keep that one to yourself and never listen to us again. Uh, anyways, oh, one more thing I wanted to add at the end here. Um, I was on a, tw- I was briefly on a Twitch stream for another podcast that's way more popular than this one last Friday. Oh. And, uh, it, <laughs> and, um, it doesn't matter which one, but what I wanted to say was if you like to make cocktails and you like free stuff, I, I think I mentioned this a couple of months ago. I wrote a ebook cocktail recipe ebook because I built a bar in my backyard. And if you would like to download that for free, no strings attached, just go download it. Um, it's at crystaljewett.com. So my name, crystaljewett.com. It's kind of the only thing on that website right now. And go help yourself to that. And Robbie, <laughs> you want to do the thing? Join us next week for another edition of Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> oh, God. 